Morning everyone. Morning. Good morning. It is good to see you all here today. Happy International Women's Day again. Whether you're a man or woman, we all have great women in our lives. So we should all be very grateful. I know I'm very grateful. Um, but let's pray before we get into the sermon. Dear Father God, thank you so much for who you are. God, thank you that we can be together this morning. Thank you that we have such free access to your scriptures. And we can read them with confidence, God, and we can really learn and be inspired by what we see. Uh, God, I pray that this morning that your scriptures speak clearly, Father God, uh, that we can all go away feeling inspired, going away with some meat to look into over the week. Um, And God, we can just be uh, the best we we need to be for you, Father God. I pray that all of us uh, will leave here, um, God, with more knowledge, love, and understanding. Uh, for your scriptures. Uh, In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. So we've been in the book of Acts and today we'll be in Acts chapter 7. And this is Stephen's last speech. Stephen's last speech. And a bit of context, in Acts chapter 6, Stephen was seen to be a man full of the Holy Spirit, full of uh, God's grace, full of power, and full of wisdom. And he was chosen to help with the widows to make sure they had enough food and everything to make sure they were looked after. Um, He was performing some miracles and then some opposition rose and people realised they couldn't stand up to his wisdom. And as the Sanhedrin, the Pharisees, the high chief, people like that would do, they falsified some accusations against him. They said that he was blaspheming against God and against Moses and so they seized him. And this is where we're going to pick up in Acts chapter 7. It is a long chapter and we are going to read the whole thing. Don't hold back. Acts chapter 7 says, Then the high priest asked Stephen, Are these charges true? To this he replied, Brothers and fathers, listen to me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham while he was still in Mesopotamia, before he lived in Haran. Leave your country and your people, God said, and go to the land I will show you. So he left the land of the Chaldeans and settled in Haran. After the death of his father, God sent him to the land where you are now living. He gave him no inheritance here, not even enough ground to set his foot on. But God promised him that he and his descendants after him would possess the land. And even though at that time Abraham had no child, God spoke to him in this way, For 400 years your descendants will be strangers in the country, not their own, and they will be enslaved and mistreated. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, God said, and afterwards they will come out of that country and worship me in this place. Then he gave Abraham the covenant of circumcision, and Abraham became the father of Isaac and circumcised him eight days after his birth. Later, Isaac became the father of Jacob, and Jacob became the father of the twelve patriarchs. Because the patriarchs were jealous of Joseph, they sold him as a slave into Egypt. But God was with him and rescued him from all his troubles. He gave Joseph wisdom and enabled him to gain the goodwill of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. So Pharaoh made him ruler over Egypt and all his palace. Then famine struck all Egypt and Canaan, bringing great suffering, and our ancestors could not find food. When Jacob heard that there was, a, there was grain in Egypt, he sent our forefathers on their first visit. On their second visit, Joseph told his brothers who he was, and Pharaoh learned about Joseph's family. After this, Joseph sent for his father Jacob and his whole family, 75 in all. Then Jacob went down to Egypt, where he and our ancestors died. Their bodies were brought back to Shechem and placed in the tomb that Abraham had bought from the sons of Hamor at Shechem for a certain sum of money. As the time drew near for God to fulfill his promise to Abraham, the number of people in Egypt had greatly increased. 
Then a new king, to whom Joseph meant nothing, came to power in Egypt. He dealt treacherously with our people and oppressed our ancestors by forcing them to throw out their newborn babies so that they would die. At this time Moses was born, and he was no ordinary child. For three months he was cared for by his family. When he was placed outside, Pharaoh's daughter took him and brought him up as her own son. Moses was educated in all wisdom of the Egyptians and was powerful in speech and action. When Moses was 40 years old, he decided to visit his own people, the Israelites. He saw one of them being mistreated by an Egyptian, so he went to his defense and avenged him by killing the Egyptian. Moses thought that his own people would realize that God was using him to rescue them, but they did not. The next day, Moses came up upon two Israelites who were fighting. He tried to reconcile them by saying, Men, you are brothers. Why do you want to hurt each other? But the man who was mistreating the other pushed Moses aside and said, Who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you did the Egyptian yesterday? When Moses heard this, he fled to Midian, where he settled as a foreigner and had two sons. After forty years had passed, an angel appeared to Moses in the flames of a burning bush in the desert near Mount Sinai. When he saw this, he was amazed at the sight. As he went over to get a closer look, he heard the Lord say, I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. Moses trembled with fear and did not dare to look. Then the Lord said to him, Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. I have indeed seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their groaning and have come down to set them free. Now come, I will send you back to Egypt. This is the same Moses that they had rejected with the words, Who made you ruler and judge? He was sent to be their ruler and deliverer by God himself, though an angel who appeared to him in the bush. He led them out of Egypt and performed wonders and signs in Egypt, at the Red Sea and for forty years in the wilderness. This is the Moses who told the Israelites, God will raise you up for a prophet like me from your own people. He was in the assembly in the wilderness when the angel spoke to him in Mount Sinai and with our ancestors, and he received living word to pass on to us. But our ancestors refused to obey him. Instead, they rejected him and in their hearts turned back to Egypt. They told Aaron, make us gods who will go before us. And for this fellow Moses who led us out of Egypt, we don't know what happened to him. That was the time they made an idol in the form of a calf. They brought sacrifices to it and re uh, reveled in what their own hands had made. But God turned away from them and gave them over to the worship of the sun, moon and stars. This agrees with what was written in the book of the prophets. Did you bring me sacrifices and offerings? Forty years in the wilderness, people of Israel. You have taken up a tabernacle of Molech and the star of your god Raphael, the idols you made to worship. Therefore, I will send you into exile beyond Babylon. Our ancestors had the tabernacle of the covenant law uh, with them in the wilderness. It had been made as God directed Moses according to the pattern he had seen. After receiving the tabernacle, our ancestors uh, under Joshua bought it with them uh, when they took the land from the nations God drove out before them. It remained in the land until the time of David who enjoyed God's favour and asked that he, he might provide a dwelling place for the God of Jacob. But it was Solomon who built a house for him. <clears throat> However, the Most High does not live in houses made by human hands, as the prophet says. Heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or where will my resting place be? Has not my hand made all these things? You stiff-necked people... 
Your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. You are just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your ancestors did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you have betrayed and murdered him. You have received the law that was given through angels, but have not obeyed it. When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this they covered their ears, yelling at the top of their voices. They rushed at him, dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. Interesting. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this, against, this sin against him. When he had said this, he fell asleep. A big passage and a very, very powerful passage. And I'll say this now, in a 30-minute sermon, we will not touch half of this. Um, however, I encourage you to go home, read this, research it, and you will see there's a lot that we can really get from it. But today, there are three things I want us to look at from this about Stephen. The first one was that he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And I think as we understand where he was coming from and how he ended up where he was, we'll see that again it's completely the Holy Spirit that had been at work in him. Secondly, we see that he knew what he was talking about. Now we can read this passage and just think he's telling a story, but when you really understand the references he makes, Everything he said is tailor-made to the people he's talking to. To show them that he respects the same thing they do, but their thinking in their hearts are wrong and they need to change. And the third one is that there are no limits to the lengths he would go for Christ. He was a true follower of Christ and followed him to the end. But we'll get to point number one. Stephen was full of the Spirit. Now when I think about who Stephen was, Stephen was a Hellenistic Jew in the fact that he grew up Jewish but was also Greek. So he didn't just speak Aramaic but he spoke Greek as well. And in Acts chapter 6 as mentioned, we see that he was chosen uh, by people to be, to help out the widows to make sure that they were looked after because he was a man full of the spirit and full of wisdom. And later on in chapter 6, he was described as a man full of God's grace and power. And because of all the things he'd been doing and the opposition that, uh, that he'd riled up, he was seized and taken into the Sanhedrin. And they said that he'd been blaspheming against Moses and against God. And so it's interesting to see that Stephen started off as someone, essentially, a glorified waiter. Um, an important job, nonetheless, but he was just making sure that people had enough food and looking after the widows. A definitely important job. But I don't know, I, I can't get to the mind of Stephen, but I'm thinking, I wonder if, He's chosen to wait on tables, to look after the widows. If he can ever imagine that he will end up standing in the Sanhedrin, in front of the chief priest where Jesus stood when he was trialed also. You know, it could have been so easy for him when opposition uh, rose up, when opposition riled up, to want to kind of just take a step back. This is not my job. I'm meant to be with the widows looking after them. This is not, I'm trying to stay in my lane. This is not what I'm, I'm called to do. Easily could have done that. But regardless we see the Spirit was at work in him. And God transformed him into someone full of his Spirit who was standing in the very spot of Jesus opposing people who were probably his childhood heroes. Growing up as a Jew, these people were probably 
his childhood heroes. And who knows what could have happened if he just limited himself to the mundane. Limited himself to what he knew or what he thought he was good at. But he didn't. And as we see in Acts 6 and Acts 7, he preached the gospel with power. Interestingly, all of us here who have repented, been baptised, have the same Holy Spirit living inside all of us. And it says he was full of grace, and we have all received that same grace. The question is, what is stopping us from doing what Stephen did? What is stopping us from doing what Stephen did? It's so easy for us to limit ourselves spiritually and tell ourselves that we have to stay in our own lane. To think, this is how I serve, this is what I do. You know, I, I can disciple one person, I can uh, you know, play the keys, I can sing, I can usher. And all of those things are very, very important things. The church would not function if we didn't do that. But nonetheless, we can't limit God's power and His Spirit to say, this is all that I am good for. No, no, God won't use me to do anything more. No, 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 I, I'm good here, I'm happy to stay here. Someone else can do that, someone else can do this. Who are you, who are we, to say that God's spirit isn't powerful enough? Really and truly, who am I to say that the creator of everything, who's put his spirit inside me, can't transform me into someone that he wants me to be? You know, in verse 51 of Acts 7, he talks about, to the Sanhedrin, that they resist the Holy Spirit. And we see that this is not what Stephen did, but how do we resist the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is in us and wants to transform us into God's vessels. Yet often we can say, no, this isn't for me. No, that's not for me. God used someone else. But there's an element of pride that comes into that because the reason we say no is due to fear or looking at our own abilities. And understanding that when we live for God, we are not going off our own abilities. Don't let fear or comfortability allow you to resist the Holy Spirit. You know, in the Bible we see so many examples of times when God was with someone, he made them into someone that they were not before him. Think of Moses in Exodus chapter 3 when God called him. He didn't want to go back to Egypt. He was nervous, he was timid, but we see him leading the Israelites out of Egypt with God's help. Now think of Gideon in Judges chapter 6. He said he was the weakest in his family, the weakest in his clan, yet we see him win God's battle in the most emphatic way. And these two people did not have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit inside them. So how much more us who have that living inside of us? Now think of Saul to Paul. Saul, as we read in this passage, was overlooking and approving the stoning of Stephen. He went on to become someone who was spreading the gospel all around the world, and that became his life. And in Psalm 18, he writes, For who is God besides the Lord? And who is the rock except our God? It is God who arms me with strength and keeps my way secure. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He causes me to stand on the heights. He trains my hands for battle. My arms can bend a bow of bronze. You have made your saving help my shield, and your right hand sustains me. Your help has made me great. You provide a broad path for my feet so that my ankles do not give way. You know, in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. Zechariah 4, 6, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord God Almighty. The things we do for God, the, the lives we live for him, do not come about by our own flesh. 
It is God who equips us and gives us the strength. Therefore, we do not have an excuse saying, I can't do this, I can't do that. If God calls you to do something, he will equip you to do it. You have his spirit living inside of you. In what ways are you resisting the Holy Spirit today? Now, who, who could God transform you into being? Who could you be if you let the Holy Spirit flow through you? You know, what could God have set apart for you to do if you let the Holy Spirit really work in your life? What is holding you back? And maybe if you're in a room and you're on your path to getting to know God, you're studying the Bible, you're seeking Him to see if you want a relationship with Him, what is stopping you from turning to the truth and obeying it? Are you holding on and resisting the Spirit, holding on to traditions? Or holding on to your sin or to your comfortability? Again, think about who God could turn you into the vessel for him. You know, Stephen was full of the Holy Spirit. The second point is he knew what he was talking about. He really knew what he was talking about. And as I mentioned, I won't be able to go into every nuance and every reference in this sermon. I, I encourage you to look at that at home. But as we see, it, we'll look at it in a second, this guy was a smart man. He did a great job of being able to respect their Jewishness, and so this, show the Sanhedrin that he respected them and cared about what they cared about, but also knowing that, look, things should be a little bit different at the same time. You know, they accused him of blaspheming against Moses and against the Holy Spirit, um, and against God, but he completely breaks down the accusations in the most beautiful way. You know, firstly, so he's standing in the Sanhedrin, and in their minds, in their mindset, they want to build up the Sanhedrin as a place of worship. God dwells here. This is where God is. It's an important place, uh, more important than anywhere else. But he goes in firstly by saying the God of glory appeared to Abraham. So firstly, that, that term, the God of glory, showing that that's a God of splendor, of majesty, of might, the word use. Again, showing them he does not blaspheme against God. He reveres and respects the Lord Almighty. But then he says that he appeared to Abraham in Mesopotamia, far, far, far away. And that would have triggered them that God is working elsewhere apart from in the Sanhedrin. He goes on to say in verse 48, However, the Most High does not live in houses made by human hands, as the prophet says, Heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or where will my resting place be? Has my hand, has not my hand, made all these things? Showing them that the Creator, the Most High God, the, the all-powerful God, isn't limited to what they think, isn't limited to a building or a structure. Again, he recognises their righteous code and talks about the covenant of circumcision. However, he takes it further and says their hearts are uncircumcised. And this is actually something that the prophets in the Old Testament spoke about as well. In Deuteronomy chapter 10, it says, Circumcise your hearts, therefore, and do not be stiff-necked any longer. Amen. So he's talking and saying, look, I, I understand that you observe this physical act of circumcision, but your hearts are far from it. <laughs> Using their scriptures against them. He talks about Joseph and how the patriarchs rejected him. And how it's a, starting a bit of a pattern that they rejected the, the deliverer that God sends to them. They did the same with Moses at first and later with Jesus Christ. You know, he ticks all the right boxes in getting to their heart um, showing them that he knows what he's talking about, um, but then he challenges the core out of everything they are. 
I think a side point is if we put ourselves in the shoes of the Sanhedrin, the Pharisees, this was meant to be a wake-up call for them. This was meant to be a time where they could actually turn away from doing what's wrong, repent, have a change of mind and a change of heart. However, they were stiff-necked. They were prideful. And they resisted the Holy Spirit. Now the question is, how do we respond when someone brings the truth towards us? Are we stiff-necked when someone comes and shows us maybe a better way to do something? Or shows us an error in our ways? You know, we see later on how they responded, and I find it quite funny. They literally covered their ears and charged towards him. I'm like, how childish is that? But we can do the same thing in our hearts. We might not do it in action, but in our hearts we're standing there, mm, yeah, thank you so much, brother. I appreciate it, yeah, I see that. In our hearts we're thinking, I've checked out already. I'm not listening to anything you have to say. You know, Psalm 36 verse 2, in their own eyes they flatter themselves too much to detect or hate their sin. First Peter 5, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Love be people that when the truth is brought to us, we are not stiff-necked. And we take the opportunity as a chance of God's grace giving us to repent and to change. Without a side point anyway. But again, we see that Stephen knew what he was talking about and wasn't just saying things for the sake of saying things. He didn't have a script in his head and thinking, when I approach everyone, I'm going to say the same thing and it's fine, it's going to work. And this is the same call for us today. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, These things you have heard from me entrust to reliable men who are able to teach others. First Peter 3, Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. In First Corinthians 9, Paul talks about he became all things to all men so that he might save some. No, this call is for us to be all things to all men. That when we're going to help people and talk to people, that we don't have a one-size-fits-all mentality. You know, when it comes to anything, let alone the gospel, you can't have a one-size-fits-all mentality. For example, I, I work part-time as a dentist. If a patient comes in and says, I have a toothache, I can't just say to every patient with a toothache, I'm going to take your tooth out. <laughs> One, I'm going to do more damage than good. Secondly, I'm going to get in a lot of trouble. <laughs> My license will get revoked. I'll never be able to work again. But there's different ways to deal with different situations. You know, a patient might have a toothache and they just need a bit of medication. Or they need a simple filling. Or they need a root canal. Or they need a crown. Or they need an extraction. There are many different ways to treat the same problem. Likewise, the gospel message is the same. Everyone needs to come to the same conclusion. However, the way to get there will be very, very different from person to person. We see Paul is an incredible example of this. In Acts 13, Paul is preaching to people who are Jews. People who believe in God and have a history of following the law. And when he talks to them, he talks them through all their history and explains to them, look, what Jesus has achieved, the law could never achieve. And he talks, he, he gets to where they need to be. And again, he brings the gospel in at the end. But then in Acts 17, he's talking to people that were Gentiles, people that didn't believe in the God of the Bible. And when he's talking to them, he quotes their own poets. He, he helps them to, to show that he understands them. He says, I respect that you are religious. And he shows them respect, but again, the gospel message still comes in. And we need to be confident when talking to people. We need to be confident to approach different people in different kind of ways so that we can help them be effective in bringing the gospel to everyone. And likewise, in dentistry, for example, a patient will come in with a toothache and they might need a root canal. Now, I might be really tired that day. Root canals can take a long time. 
I might be really just frustrated, had a bad day, and I don't want to do that root canal. Now, I can't just sit there and be like, I'm going to take your tooth out because I can't be bothered. I can't sit there and do that. If, or, or maybe it's above my skill level. Again, I can't just be like, I'm just going to take your tooth out because I don't know how to do it. No, you find the solution. I'll tell my colleague who's, got, who's 40 years a dentist, can you help me out? Can you do the root canal here? Or can I watch you do it? Or can I refer them to a specialist? The aim isn't just for me to do what's comfortable, but it's for the person to receive the treatment that they need. And likewise with us, we can stay at home and not reach out because we think I don't know the answers. Or we can reach out to a specific type of person because we think I know how to help this type of person. The beauty of being in this room is that everyone has different skills, capabilities and abilities. And we can use that, we can learn from each other and use each other to help. However, we can't just be lazy and use that as an excuse not to bring the gospel to people. We need to learn and we need to grow. 100% God will work. And it's not down to us. God will work 100%. But in 2 Timothy, it does talk about that we do need to accurately handle the word of truth. That we do need to be growing and being able to reach people around us, just like Stephen did. Again, this is the call for us, to be effective in speaking to different types of people. Stephen was very confident in what he was saying. And the third point is there was no limits to what he would do for the Lord. No limits to what he would do for God. As mentioned, standing in the Sanhedrin would have been an overwhelming experience. To think these people would have been as childhood heroes, as a, growing up as a Jew, these people are basically the next thing to God. And also thinking he's standing in the place where Jesus was standing. That would be a very, very overwhelming thing. And he knows that what he has to say will outrage people. You know, at the beginning of chapter 7, when they ask him, are these charges true? He could have just said no. He could have just said no, they're not true. And left it at that. But he said what he needed to say, knowing these people would want to kill him afterwards. He speaks the truth, stands up, a true follower of Christ. In dangerous and compromising situations, he doesn't shrink back, but follows in the footsteps of Christ and stands up to persecution. All of us here are disciples. This is the call for us today. And we see their reaction to him. They charge at him, they take him out of the city, and they stone him to death. And even in that, we can see his, his mindset. He's, he's looking at the glory of God. He's looking at Jesus at the right hand of God, ready to welcome him into heaven. He's asking God to forgive these people's sins so they don't know what they're doing. Again, his mentality was completely, how, is this going to glorify God? How can I glorify God in life and in death? Now in Luke chapter 9, verse 23, this is Jesus speaking. Then he said to, to them all, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? Now we look at this passage and Jesus said there are three things we need to do if you want to be a disciple. First one is to deny themselves, deny ourselves. And that's just not talking about denying our desires, denying the things we want to do. It's denying ourselves, removing ourselves from the equation and replacing that with Jesus as the driving force of our life. He becomes Lord of our life. The second is to carry our cross. Now, I think when a lot of people read this passage, we can think, carry our cross, oh, you know, Jesus carried his cross. 
um, you know, it was difficult, we need to do things that are difficult, let me wake up early in the morning, let me share my faith, let me, let me do things that are hard. No, it's not necessarily that. The people hearing this, Jesus hasn't died yet, but they would understand, okay, what is a cross used for? A cross is used by the Roman government to crucify people, to kill people who act against the Roman government, insurrectionists, rebels, murderers. And so they're thinking, Jesus is saying, carry your cross daily. Wow, am I going to need to die for this? Is this what Jesus is telling me, that I'm going to die for this cause? We need to be willing to go all the way for Jesus. And the third one is to follow me, to follow in his footsteps. And interesting, the word that was used, I'm not going to try and pronounce it because I will butcher it. But the word is, is a very, very strong word, that word follow. Uh, Jewish rabbis would use that word. And these rabbis are old men walking around with sticks. And they would call their disciples, follow me. And you would think, follow their teachings, follow what they say. But no, these young, able-bodied men would be walking around, hunched over with sticks. Because that word follow me means you follow every single thing that I do. You follow in my footsteps. You don't pick and choose. If I go here, you go there too. If I do this, you do that as well. And that is what Jesus has called us to do as his disciples, to follow in his footsteps. And we see Stephen embodied all of this. He denied himself completely. He took up his cross and he was literally standing where Jesus stood when he was on trial. And I think the reason he was able to do that is he was probably so secure in the love that his saviour Jesus had for him. That Jesus had died for his sins and had risen so that he could actually follow him and have a life with him. Being so secure in that love. But also the promise of what's to come. In Mark chapter 10, Truly I tell you, Jesus replied, No one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children and fields along with persecution and in the age to come, eternal life. You know, what lengths will you go for your saviour? The one who saved your souls and is waiting for you in heaven. What boundaries have you put up? What, what barriers have you put up? I'll, I'll go this far, Jesus, but anything after that, don't know if I can do that. And in our lives today, it's not as extreme, as it, well, it could be, but it's not, as having to be on trial for our faith, for being a Christian, for being a disciple. Um, I don't think any of us have, have faced death threats for being a Christian. However, maybe it's at work and you shrink back from sharing your life with someone because you think it might just be a bit weird. Or maybe it's at school and you, you, you blend in when your friends are making coarse jokes or talking about that girl or that guy because you don't want to appear strange and abnormal. Uh, maybe it's just, oh, it's too much effort to share my faith. No one's going to listen. Maybe you make all these excuses for yourself, but those will stop us from truly following Jesus and following in his footsteps. Now, Jesus said, blessed are those who are persecuted because of his name. And not that we should go out looking for persecution, not that we should go running to upset people, but if we are like Jesus, we will upset people. Lots of people will follow, but lots of people will run away also, just as they did with Jesus. And Jesus said, a student is not above his master. You know, and lest we not forget, Jesus, who we are following, died for all of us in the world so that we can follow him, so that we have the opportunity to follow him, so we can be 100% secure in his love, knowing that he will be waiting for us in heaven at the end.
You know, Stephen is an, inspira- is an inspirational man for me. I, I look at him and I'm, I'm like, goodness gracious me. This guy was just happy to die for his faith. He, he was full of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was so at work in him and is evident. We're still talking about it today, thousands of years later. He was able to communicate effectively with these uh, Jewish leaders and able to really get to their hearts but speak the truth without compromising. And he went right to the end. He remained faithful to the end. Did not shrink back in the face of persecution. His time had come to be with the Lord. And let us be inspired by him. And all of us here today, if the Holy Spirit is at work in us, there's no reason we can't have the same impact that Stephen had. We can do some incredible things for God if we let the Holy Spirit work through us. And we feed the Holy Spirit with, with prayer, with Bible, with relationships in the body. You will all be surprised how God will use you. You will all be surprised the lengths God will take you to. But let us not resist the Holy Spirit. Amen.